Well, hey, Connect. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Chris. Get to serve on the team. And thrilled that you decided to join us today as we continue 21 Days of Prayer. 21 Days of Prayer is more than just a teaching series that we're going through. It's really a season that we're in as a church because we long for a fresh, dynamic, growing relationship with God. And prayer, very practically speaking, is how we relate with God throughout our day. In fact, prayer is God's standing invitation to us to connect with him throughout our day. Now, we're 15 days into this 21 days of prayer, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at the book of Psalms, because it has been the guide for God's people throughout the ages as to how to pray. There's a, there's a psalm, there's a prayer for each and every occasion, from celebration to despair, all, it's all covered in Psalms. So we're looking to this book as a guide for our prayer life so that we can have a, a fresher, more dynamic prayer life. And what we've learned thus far is how to live with a posture of prayer. And we've also learned how to pray when life's good. Because there are times when life is so good and we can praise God, we can thank God in those times. But there are also times in life when life's bad. Uh, when it hits the fan, when we've blown it. And how do we pray then? How do we pray when life's bad because we've been bad? Uh, often, not always, but often my bad days are my fault. Uh, it, it could be because uh, Amanda and I had a disagreement the night before, or maybe it was a fight that morning. It, it really doesn't matter when it was, but if we're at odds with one another, what happens is I'm, I'm having a horrible day. I might go to work, I might still go to the meeting, I might still do all these things, but, but I'm totally distracted because I'm thinking about the one I hurt. I'm down because I let her down. I'm discouraged because maybe I was defensive again. I can even have a good day, like a really good day. I can come home. I'm excited to see my family. I walk in the door, and then I'm just hit with a tidal wave of needs and tears. We got three little girls, and all kinds of it just, it's coming, and I am, my, my, my attitude tanks. And, and I'm irritated and frustrated. And in my annoyance, I'll, I'll say something snarky or sarcastic, and, and it hurts our girls, and it just makes matters worse. You see, I'm often the culprit behind my bad days. And having experienced too many bad days like this to count, I have found one thing that helps. Prayer. And it's not just any kind of prayer, it's a certain kind of prayer. And that's what we're going to look at today, because uh, God invites us to pray when life's bad, when we have a bad day, when we're the culprit, when we are the ones who've blown it. And to do this, what we're going to do is we're going to look at another psalm, a psalm of David. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 51. Here we see a prayer from David, right after he blew it, like really, really blew it. Now, if you need a Bible or a place to jot down some notes, I invite you to follow along in our church app. Little backstory on David to set the stage for us. Uh, David was the second king of Israel. He reigned from 1011 to 971 BC, and he was a great king. He was, he's celebrated for all the good that he did. 
military victories. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. David was a good dude. He did some good things. And Scripture celebrates David as a man after God's own heart. So David's got a lot going for him, but he had a bad day, a bad season. And he was the one behind it. You can read the whole story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, but here are the cliff notes. David, when he was king, should have been off at war with the rest of his army, but instead he chose to stay home. And one night, when Uriah, his soldier, was off at war fighting on David's behalf, David slept with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And then the craziest thing happened, she got pregnant. Now David thought, okay, how do I cover this up? So he has Uriah come back home in hopes that Uriah will spend some time with his wife and think the baby is his baby. But David, or Uriah doesn't go there, and thus David's up a creek. He, he's trying to figure out what to do. So he sends Uriah back out to the battlefield, this time with his own death orders in hand. And the, the commander, Joab, plays out the orders from David just as David desired, and just like David wanted, Uriah was killed. Right there, the front of the battle. Now David thinks he gets away with all this, until God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David for his sin. And it's, and it's then in that moment that we actually see why David is heralded as a man after God's own heart. You see, it's how David responded when he realized his sin, when he was confronted with it, that we see, oh, David's response? David's response should actually inspire our response when we've blown it, when we've sinned. Now, before we jump into Psalm 51, in the prayer that David prayed right in the midst of this whole season, this mess that he made, let's do this. Let's pause, let's pray ourselves, and let's ask to hear from God now. Lord, we come before you uh, eager to hear from you. We sang of your mercy and grace just moments ago, and would you remind us of that right now through your word? Would you speak to us? Would you show us how we can uh, engage with you, how we can talk with you, even when life's bad? Because we've been bad, because we've blown it. So would David's prayer inspire our prayer? We ask this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, life's bad for David, he's blown it, and he begins to pray the following. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. When David blew it, sleeping with another man's wife, having him killed to cover David's wrongdoing. When David blew it and then was confronted by the prophet Nathan for it, what did David do? He repented of it. God, uh, David cried out to God for mercy. Mercy, what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what one deserves. In David's case, he deserved death. The law that God gave his people was crystal clear. If you commit adultery, the punishment is death. If you murder, the punishment is death. The law was clear. D David, David did both. He, he deserves death two times over, and David knew it. He was the king. He often enforced the law. So David knows 
that he deserves death. So he cries out to God for mercy. He repents. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. David calls on God's character, his unfailing love. That, that love is the same love that we talked about last week, the Hebrew word hesed. It, it describes God's unfailing, never-ending, loyal, covenant-keeping love. Like, even when we waver, God never wavers. He is love, and he continues to love. And David is calling out to God, asking for mercy, and asking to experience his unfailing love. So, when, when life was good, like we talked about last week, Psalm 118, David prays, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And now, in Psalm 51, life's bad, because he's been bad. Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love. Point being, whether life is good, whether life is bad, we rest in, we depend on God's love, his loyal, faithful, never-ending love. I appreciate how the Jesus Storybook Bible describes God's love. I read this to my girls at night, and this is how God's love is described there. His never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. God is love. He, he loves you through the highs. He loves you through the lows. He loves you when you get it right. He even loves you when you get it wrong. God is love, and his love for you is never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. That's who our God is, and that's how he loves us and relates to us. So, when you blow it, repent of it to the God who mercifully loves you through it. It's what David did, and it's what we should do too. But how? How do we do this? Because if you're anything like me, uh, when you sin, what you want to do is you just want to like run and hide. You want to escape it. You want to get out of the way because you feel shame for your sin. Maybe I, I want to I get to work so I can be away from Amanda and, and try to forget what I did that hurt her. Or maybe it's I got to get outside so I, I can get some space away from the girls to clear my head. Like whatever it is, I kind of want to get away. I want to escape. And that's the natural tendency when we sin. We, we want to run and hide. But, but our supernatural invitation is to go before our Heavenly Father, who is rich in mercy, whose love is never failing, and repent of it. How do we prayerfully repent? David modeled how. And here's how it begins. It begins, you got to confess your sin to God. We see this in verses 3 through 6. David writes, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desire faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. I didn't have to teach my girls to be sinful. Mine was one of their first words. And it's just progressed from there. Disobeying Amanda and me. Even flat out lying to our face. Brace your heart as a parent. And the same is true of us too. No one taught us to sin. They didn't have to. Just like David prayed, we were, we've been sinful from birth. Uh, scripture reveals 
a little bit more what's going on here. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all, all have sinned. All of us. We've all blown. We've all missed the mark of God's holiness, God's perfection. And, and like David, what we see in Psalm 51, genuine repentance, it starts with confessing our sin to God. Acknowledging that we did sin and that it impacted, it broke that relationship that we have with him. I appreciate how Tyler Staten describes this. He's a pastor, he's an author, lives now in Portland, Oregon. He writes this in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. The issue with sin isn't that God has a tight moral grid and coloring within the lines is how we prove we're on his side. It's that sin inhibits us from doing what we were made to do best, love, to receive love and to give it. Why does sin interfere with love? Because, as Eugene Peterson, another pastor, defines it, sin is a refused relationship with God that spills over into a wrong relationship with others. Sin is always personal, and it's always against God. The way our sin hurts others is the collateral of that first refusal. As David prays against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We do not sin against a rule or a law, we sin against our Father. Our sin breaks our relationship with God. He is perfect. He is holy. He can't be in the presence of sin. And if unrepented of, we're going to experience separation with God, not just now, but forever. We call that hell. So, so when I've blown it, and uh, maybe, maybe I've blown it with Amanda, I've, I've been defensive, I haven't loved her well. Um, what'll often happen is we'll need some time to kind of reflect on the disagreement we just had. And, and in my best moments, what I'll do is I'll, I'll grab my prayer journal and I'll start to process with God what I said, what I did, how it hurt her. And I'll repent. And inevitably, as I'm repenting, for what I did to Amanda, seeking reconciliation in my relationship with God, I'm prompted, I got I to gotta circle back with her too. Because yes, yes, my sin hurt her, but first what has to happen is I probably need to repent to God because my sin ultimately was against him. And then the, the collateral, the downstream effect was that it hurt Amanda, who God loves and I love too. When you sin, confess your sin to God. And also, like David, to ask God to cleanse you and create in you a pure heart. We see this as we continue in verses 7 through 12. David says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Hyssop branches were uh, the branches that the Israelites used when they, when they had killed that lamb, just like God told them to do on Passover, and they, they took the blood of the lamb, they, they got some of it on the hyssop branches, and they wiped it across the doorframe of their house. That's, that's the, the imagery that David is conjuring up here. 
This idea that, that the blood is covering over and thus God is going to move past. Uh, here, David is asking that God would wash away his sin, that he'll, he'll remember it no more. And as David asked God to cleanse him, we ask God to cleanse us and we are promised that it will take place because we know what David only hoped for. We know Jesus. Uh, in 1 John 1, we read this. Uh, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. Why? Because we read it earlier. All have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need Jesus. You see, later in Romans, we, we, we see that the wage for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. We all deserve eternal separation from God. And yet, Jesus washes over us. He is the perfect Passover lamb. His blood covers over. We are forgiven. He purifies us so that when we receive the work he did for us on the cross, his, it covers over everything that we've done wrong, everything we did wrong, everything that we will do wrong. We get to live in light of God's mercy. Our sin deserves death, but God in his mercy sent Jesus to take upon the punishment we deserve so that we can experience forgiveness, freedom, life. Now, when we pray, we can pray with confidence. Cleanse me, create in me a pure heart, O God, knowing that he has in Christ and that that becomes our reality. Uh, repentance, it's this, it's this biblical term, and it means more than just turning from our sin. Yes, it's turning from sin, but it's also receiving God's mercy expressed to us in Jesus and then it's following God forward. We don't keep sinning like we once sinned. After we receive his mercy, his grace, we don't want to live that way anymore. We want to follow him in his way. And that leads us to the third thing that we see David do. He started, you know, you're going to confess your sins to God. You're going to ask God to cleanse you and create a pure heart in you. And then three, let God redeem you. This is what David did as we continue in Psalm 51, 13 through 17. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You, who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Friends, there's nothing we can do to earn God's grace. Grace is getting what one does not deserve. So 
Mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what one does deserve. We deserve death. Grace, on the other hand, is getting what one does not deserve. And, and what that looks like for us is, is our pain's not the end of the story. Th- that's not the conclusion. Uh, God redeems our pain. He actually can, can take the pain, the heartache, the hurt that we felt, and he can use it to bring hope, to bring life, to bring light to others. Why would God do this? I mean, just God could, God could help people and, and, and encourage them to turn from their sin, to repent in so many different ways. Why would he choose us? We're broken. We're messy. We hurt people. Why would God choose to use us? I think it's because when people see the light of Jesus in our life, they get a glimpse of what he can do in theirs. It gives them hope. That Jesus can transform them too. So, by God's grace, we get to call others to repentance too. We get to say, hey, look, you don't have to keep living that way. Jesus forgives you for your sin, and you should follow him. Verse 13 says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. It's amazing. It's amazing that God would choose to use us and to redeem us and include us in something bigger than ourselves for the good of others. He doesn't doesn't just forgive our sin, he redeems it. He repurposes it. And though he would never want us to sin, God can still work good things through our pain. So let God redeem you. You know, after, uh, after I prayerfully repent, I'll often realize I need to personally repent. Yes, my sin was against God, and it also hurt others as well. Let's just take an example. Like, say I I come home from work, and the house is is in disarray, and I ask Hannah to clean up after dinner. And she does what most five-year-olds do, and she doesn't clean up. But I get angry, and I raise my voice, and, and I can see it as I'm talking to her. I see that, like, Oh man, the life's draining out of her face. Like, this is impacting her more than I intended. And she runs up to her room. And I head back to doing dishes, just feeling like crap. And as I'm there washing dishes, I realize that was not the right tone of voice. And I repent of it. I ask God to forgive me. And inevitably, I recognize in that moment, I also need to go repent to Hannah. Humbling a parent repenting to their five-year-old. But uh, what I'll do is I'll go upstairs, I'll turn the faucet off, head upstairs, and then I'll get down on my knees beside her bed, put my hand on her back, and say, Hey, Hannah, I shouldn't have talked to you that way. I'm really sorry, sweetie. Will you forgive me? And we'll talk, and then before we get up, what I'll do is I'll say, Hey, can we pray together? And we'll pray right then and there. And she'll hear me again repent to God and recognize that I hurt her in the process. What just happened in that scenario? It's a scenario that I'm all too familiar with. What just happened in that scenario? A couple of things. I blew it. I blew it big time. I repented of it. And then God, in his goodness, in his grace, he redeemed it. When I'm there by her bedside, he's redeeming it. 
He's using me as a parent, not just to repent, but also model repentance so that Hannah knows what it looks like because she's going to blow it too. We all do. Scripture is clear about that. But how do we walk it out when we do? We repent. Now, I would never choose this as my discipleship strategy. Would not choose this with my girls. But that's the cool thing about God. When we let him redeem us, he can take even the worst of scenarios and he can, he can make something good come from it. Now, when David does these things, confessing his sin, asking God to cleanse him, letting God redeem him, he doesn't actually stop there. David continues. You see, having experienced God's mercy and grace personally, David then asks God to pour out his grace on his nation. Listen to this. The psalm wraps up. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings uh, offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Uh, David's boldly asking God, would you bless the nation? Would you bless it again? Would you build it? Would you be worshiped wholeheartedly here? And it's interesting, in many ways, what David prayed here, it actually, it's like a foretaste to what God would promise David's son, Solomon, years later. Years later, when David's son, Solomon, is now king, uh, David, or excuse me, God said this to Solomon. This is 2 Chronicles 7.14, excuse me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Sometimes we hear this passage and it's preached as like some name it and claim it promise. That's not the context here. But what we see here in Second Chronicles, what we observe in David's life, we observe it again and again. In fact, we could even observe it in our own lives. When we repent, God God can do something incredible because a heart that's repentant, that's surrendered to God is a heart that's ready to be used by him. And just like David prayed in Psalm 51, when, when God enters the picture and he, his mercy and grace are evident, he can take even bad scenarios and he can redeem them. He can redeem us. Look, we all have bad days. We all blow it. So when you blow it, Repent of it to the God who mercifully loves you through it. After Nathan confronted David uh, for his sin, what we read in 2 Samuel 12, 13 is this. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Remember, David deserved death two times over. But he experienced God's mercy and grace a thousand times over. He says, you're not going to die. And what's true of David is true of us. In Christ, we, eternal separation, death, that doesn't have to be our story. We can experience life with God, freedom, forgiveness. Why? Because of God's mercy and grace. And there's this beautiful account that the Gospel of John records in, uh, yeah, Jesus' ministry and I want to read this to you. It's not going to come up on the screens because what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture this scene with me. And maybe even picture yourself in the scene, like the woman in the scene. We read this. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. 
the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now, leave your life of sin. I invite you, you can open your eyes. I'm not a prophet sent by God to convict you of your sin. But I do know the Holy Spirit, and I know that the Holy Spirit is working. And when the Holy Spirit works, one of the key things the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit does convict us of sin and does reveal to us our need for Jesus. And it's, it's, it's very likely that throughout this message, the Holy Spirit's been working, and the Holy Spirit's been convicting and revealing a sin in your life that you need to repent of. I am here to tell you that God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. That's our God. That's how he loves us. Even when we've blown it, he still loves us. He loves us so much that he's going to mercifully love us through it. Just continuously, his love never fails. And if you, like me, repent of your sin, we are we're guaranteed that he will forgive us. You see, Jesus gets us. He gets us. He was tempted in every way that we are, and yet he did not sin. So that when he died on the cross, his death didn't pay the price for his sin. It paid the price for your sin and my sin. So we can approach God's throne with confidence. I mean, listen to this from Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you so grateful that you don't turn your back on us when we've sinned, when we've blown it that even in our bad days, you still want to hear from us. And when we call out to you, just like David, to have mercy, you do. You have. You will. We are so grateful. Thank you for your love. Thank you that it is loyal and it's never-ending. And Lord, as, as we come before you now, we recognize that we have blown it. We have sinned. And we need your forgiveness. We need your mercy. And we also ask for your grace. 
that you would even give us what we don't deserve. So meet us here in this time, in this place right now. In Jesus' name, amen.